gentlemen and corner kick fam welcome to season three of corner kick we, we call it season three because things became formalized you know a couple of years ago but really we're entering on i think year six now of doing this podcast but uh it's my pleasure i'm nathan strauss to welcome in uh you know a man who has spent the last couple of months bouncing back and forth between france switzerland and a place that he described as the wellesley of illinois it's Caleb Rhodes. Hello. Yes, I I am here. I am excited and I am pleased to announce that I too will be selling um, 15% of the television rights to Caleb Rhodes, A Life Story to 6th Street for $300 million. Um, it's, it's a pretty lofty valuation. Um, but yeah, and Caleb, <laughs> unfortunately, before that deal even kicks in, you'll be asked to actually reduce your wage. Uh, in order to get that money in the first place. But, yep. we're, of course, we're also joined by another man who has spent a couple of months bouncing around the Roman streets of Chester, England, and Dublin, Ireland, and even down south in Mississippi. It's the one and only. Oh, and obviously, Anfield itself, Nick Govindan. Yes, boys, I have some bad news. In the uh, interim time that we haven't been recording, my contract has actually expired, and we don't have the money currently within our financial regulations to re-register me as a uh, podcaster for this podcast. So I think I'm going to have to, you know, bid you guys adieu and, and explore the free agent market. Unfortunately, Nick, even <laughs> if you had your contract terminated, there would still not be a market for you despite your, uh, you know, uh, your proficiency in our field. And of course, that leads us to another player for whom there is absolutely zero market <laughs> whatsoever, despite every single bit of PR and agent pressure from a man named Mendes. It's Cristiano Ronaldo, who one year after seemingly you know, abandoning Juventus in the span of 48 hours, has decided to pull the same trick on Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United. I don't know about you guys, but I find this to be absolutely hilarious yeah i think first we should set the scene a little bit for this episode which is to say it has been a hiatus and we're excited to be back podcasting and this is going to be a bit of a transfer and sort of general i think soccer gossip roundup maybe looking a little forward to the community shield this weekend um and the women's euros final and then we'll pick up with, you know, the heavily awaited, long awaited marathon. Usually this takes a few hours, Premier League preview later on next week. But I just want to, you know, orient our, our listeners before we dive deeper into the sort of latest Cristiano Ronaldo, um, you know, soap. It's the most wonderful time of the year because we get to, you know, we've obviously taken a month off from podcasting our digestion of soccer content while it is robust. Maybe it's not quite as robust while we're, you know, globe trotting and doing other things. And so it's been nice this past few days to sort of be home, reacclimate to the world of soccer, get uh, digest a lot of the news, look at like the state of play right now. And then I think, yeah, discuss what has been, I think, one of the dominant stories of the past month or so, and that is Cristiano Ronaldo not wanting to return to Manchester United. And I think it's quite interesting because Juventus are back in the Champions League, obviously. Um, he's le looking to leave Manchester Juventus never left the Champions League. They qualify every season. But Juventus, it was looking dicey there for a second. But they're in the Champions League. United, who are paying Cristiano Ronaldo £360,000 a week, are not in the Champions League. It seems like Eric Ten Hag is happy to keep him at the club to see out the re this remaining year of his contract. But now it's getting to the stage where, yeah, Nathan, like you said, Mendes is shipping him, or uh, Mendes is shopping him around to clubs like Chelsea and Bayern Munich, and even, it seems, clubs such as Napoli, which we don't really, I don't think the three or the three of us or the global soccer world considers Napoli to be like a club 
a glamorous enough club, I guess, in the eyes of Cristiano Ronaldo. But seemingly, he just wants to, you know, get out of Manchester into a team that's playing Champions League football. But even a club such as Atletico Madrid put out a statement, or their fan, uh, their fan ultras put out a statement saying that they'd be disgusted if Cristiano signed with them. He is the antithesis of their values and such and such. So yeah, it really seems like dire straits for Ronaldo right now, who is kind of a black hole of a player on the pitch as is his current state as a 37-year-old poacher, but it seems like he's even more of a black hole off the pitch right now. Yeah. Well, it's funny, though, because I don't think he or his agent have yet formally admitted that he's really looking out. Like, when he didn't show up to the start of preseason, it was for, you know, a family issue of some kind. So all of this has been a little covert, even though it's, you know, very out in the open. If he does go to 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 Napoli, um, I wonder if Cavani will sort of teach him some self-defense moves so that he's not mugged outside of the stadium like Cavani very famously was. Almost like, must be like eight years ago now or like nine years <laughs> uh, ago. Yeah, that's, I mean, um, that was a great Napoli team too, but yeah, keep going. Yes. Um, I think he... Honestly, this story is playing out about how we expected it would have a year ago. We said he'd go to Manchester United and make them worse, even if he scores a decent amount of goals. He basically did just that. Um, He got a manager sacked along the way. Um, He was their leading scorer. He was tied for, or sorry, he was the third top scorer um, in the Premier League. So he can score, but he does not offer basically anything else on the pitch. He's a ball hog. He costs a lot. He's a drama queen. Um, His options are very, very limited right now. Um, And I don't think he's internalized that, you know, perhaps he is somewhat responsible for, you know, the position Manchester United are in. And he's definitely responsible for, you know, forcing his way out of Juve to begin with. I think he has a few different places he could go. Um, I think he could go for like the kind of emotional return to sporting, I still don't think it's too late for him to make a very dramatic move to MLS, although I think that's unlikely considering he still clearly thinks that he competes. But otherwise, I can't really think of basically any club in Europe that would want to pay what he would pay and then also thereby suffer on the field as a result. It's pretty much the worst Venn diagram (laughs) to be in um, possible. Well, yeah. I mean, the only other club that I could think of, Caleb, is someone who was linked to Ronaldo earlier on in the process. They've since sort of loosely been ruled out. But Chelsea, since we last recorded, are officially under new ownership. Uh, You know, they're now owned by Todd Bowley at Co. Um, And, you know, he has been... I think adjusting to a somewhat steep learning curve of how to be a soccer executive um, of one of the biggest teams in Europe. And as we'll mention in a few minutes with some outgoing transfers, Lukaku, you know, uh, the marquee signing of last summer up top has since left to go back to Inter. Uh, And reports this week are that Timo Werner, who I would say would be the second choice striker after Lukaku, uh, it has been linked with ironically a lone move to Juventus. So right now, that would leave, what, Kai Havertz and Mishi Batshuayi as the only, like, quote-unquote strikers that Chelsea have. Uh, I do think that he would satisfy, Ronaldo would satisfy the sort of the urgings of Boley to make a splash. Uh, You know, Chelsea, in my mind, and we'll talk about this next week too, are the team that has, uh, you know, I guess, suffered the most this window. Uh, They've had the biggest net negative of any team, I think, in the entire Premier League. Uh, But yeah, I mean, Ronaldo, very much so the architect of his own demise. And Manchester United, it's interesting because this is a relationship that was, you know, truly toxic for both parties. He had had 18 goals last year in the Premier League. The next three highest scoring players for United were Bruno Fernandes with 10, Mason Greenwood, who will not be playing, with 5, and Fred with 4. So United would then have their own, you know, strike issues to figure out. And the market, it's been a weird market this year. Um, you know, do you guys have anything else on Ronaldo or should we move to uh, the top sort of surprising, the surprisingly long list of top transfers from this summer? Well, I guess, you know, before we move on from Ronaldo, 
is he in the squad? Is he in the match day 18, you know, barring injury on day one of the Premier League in a few weeks? Yay or nay? nay. I think yay. I just don't think yay. there's enough. I just don't think there's options out there like they yeah. think, like you both were saying. You think he comes to Jesus a little bit here and realizes? Yeah. He needs to. I mean, he, clearly he sees the Europa League as a competition that's beneath him. But Ronaldo is someone who's going to be turning 38 this year. You know, he's really entering what is, you know, the twilight reserves of his career. And I think if he sees himself competing at a high level until he's 40, the best opportunity for him to do that would be to, you know, score another 18 to 22 goals this season for Manchester United in a European competition in the Premier League. He's still playing at one of the world's most visible clubs uh, in the entire, you know, in both the Premier League and, you know, Europe and the world. And I just see it as a case of in 2023, let that contract run out and then explore, you know, the open market. Maybe there's a one-year deal at a club like PSG or Bayern. I think Chelsea is quite interesting because clearly, you know, with the departure of Levi Colwell and the signing of Kaladu Koulibaly, it, it looks like they're going for name value players instead of trying to develop youngsters, which <laughs> seemingly is something that Todd Bowley and Roman Abramovich have in common. So I could see of all the clubs that we've mentioned, I could see Chelsea being the most feasible, but they would still be paying, you know, the the Ronaldo tax as it were. So I think Cristiano's best best case scenario here is just to play it out another another year with United. Yeah, Chelsea reeks yeah. of desperation though. Like I think things would have to be really bad and I think things are pretty bad at Chelsea, but again we can table that conversation. Um yeah, I mean I I, I personally bit, think I personally think he is in the United squad, but not for the reasons that you guys have mentioned. Well, maybe partly because of those reasons. But we all know that Ronaldo is a man, maybe more than any other person on the planet, who is obsessed with image. Like, not just in a Vandy way, in a very sort of controlling way. And I think that, you know, within the next week, uh, you know, Georgia Mendes, his agent, is going to put out some statement uh, being like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo has like had a change of heart. You know, he realizes they're going to have to change the narrative to make it so that he is, you know, sort of returning to United uh, of his own volition. Uh, and, you know, he'll be greeted, I, I would imagine, pretty positively by the majority of United fans who seem to have been willing to look beyond his sort of self-comparisons to that of a slave back in the, you know, back when he was being kept at United in 07, uh, you know, before his move to Madrid. Uh, I think Ronaldo will end up staying at United, both because the market isn't there and because it's just the clearest sort of PR strategy for, a, I guess, a, a hero who is truly reluctant to embrace the twilight of his career, which is, um, it can be kind of sad and awkward to see at the same time. But with all that said, the other side of Manchester has <laughs> a, a, I guess, the opposite of Ronaldo uh, in uh, Erling Holland, who arrived at Manchester City, this deal was confirmed all the way back in, you know, I think early May, like pretty much right after the season uh, ended. He was officially unveiled, actually, right when Nick and I were in Manchester outside of the city stadium, uh, which was the city, the, the Etihad, underwhelming, but the fans, pretty cool. Uh, Holland joined for only $66 million. Uh, his market value is $100 million more than that. We don't need to spend too much time talking about this transfer because I'm sure we'll get into it next time we record. But I do think it shows that City uh, have their guy. You know, finally, they've got their Aguero heir apparent. They've got their Aguero heir apparent, um, which is funny because there's that video of Guardiola um, back when Aguero left. Um, and he's like very emotional, I think, in a very genuine we way. Can't replace him. We, he cannot be replaced. <laughs> he cannot be replaced. Um, they've you know, replaced him with about like you know another seven inches of Nordic. <laughs> I don't even. I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, seven inches of Nordic air. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I hate to say it, but this is City have done. I think fairly immaculate business this summer, um, getting Holland for this fee. I know it was, you know, part of his contract is just great business. I mean, he has a connection to the club 
he is sort of off the mark in preseason, scoring on his birthday in a multiply timed, lightning delayed, 80 minute game at, at Lambeau Field. Um, not a sentence I thought I would be saying. <laughs> um, he seems to, I, I think he is going to be a monster in, in the Premier League. Like, I don't foresee him having any trouble adjusting when he moved from, you know, uh, Salzburg to the Bundesliga. It was seamless. I imagine the same will continue. Manchester City also have a positive transfer balance this summer. They've made, you know, 50 odd million euros. You know, they've only spent 120, but they've brought in, um, you know, like 180 or so. Some of the transfers are probably a little debatable, and maybe we get into that when we do our Premier League podcast more. But so far, so good for the citizens, and I am personally looking forward to seeing how Holland kind of beds in um, in the Premier League. Right, and I think they've sold two players in Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus to make this more the Erling Holland show. You know, there's going to be less play working through centrally. Holland is going to be, you know, that lone sole figure up top. And I think you're going to see more starts from the likes of Jack Grealish and Riyad Mahrez, who they just committed a new contract to, which I think is a big indicator of his, you know, boosted role in this Manchester City team. And with the likes of, you know, Phil Foden in behind Erling Holland, I think this is going to be barring, you know, Erling Holland is someone who has who has struggled with a lot of injuries in his young career. And I think that's going to be the one concern for Manchester City is just finding a way to keeping him, finding a way to keep him consistently on the field. But if they can do that and they can tool players like Grealish, like Mares, like Foden around him, this is going to be a new and improved, a different sort of Manchester City, but I think an equally deadly Manchester City as well. One of the things that really struck me when looking through Transfermarkt, which by the way is such an impeccable resource, uh, and also it's crazy, I've heard stories that their database is actually more correct or more accurate than that of some clubs uh, in the world, which is kind of interesting. But it was really striking looking through this list of you know the top transfers in terms of the fee paid. There were some really weird moves this summer that I totally forgot about because they happened in June. Uh, looking through this, um, you know, the list of the top 10 transfers by fees paid, a number of them were from Premier League teams, which you would expect. Liverpool paid the second most money of any team uh, to sign Darwin Nunez for a reported fee of $82 million. Uh, that's the second most expensive transfer. Then you've got Holland at four, Richarlison moving to Spurs at six, Lissandra Martinez at seven, going from Ajax to United, Sterling at eight, going from City to Chelsea, uh, Jesus, Gabriel Jesus going from City to Arsenal. But then the remaining transfers are all, it seems, they, they seem like the kind of transfers that would occur in the first summer of a FIFA career mode, which is probably a little bit more validating to EA than it should be. But looking at, <laughs> looking at if, we, if we exclude Aurelian Schwameni, who we can talk about if we want, Matthias Delict leaving Juventus to go to Bayern Munich. Bayern are the only team in the Bundesliga who will spend above 15 million for a defender. And when they do, they do it big, thinking back to Lucas Hernandez, uh, obviously Benjamin Pavard. And this time they brought a player at who in Delict is only 22 years old, but it seems like he's been pretty much just about a world-class center back for three years now. It's a pretty interesting move, you know, trading Bayern for Juve, or rather Juve for Bayern. Uh, it's definitely a contrast in styles. And from the reporting that's gone on, it seems like that was the main reason that he ended up wanting out of Juventus. Yeah, I think the delict Juve relationship didn't really work as planned. I think he probably didn't predict the the fairly rapid decline of of Juve just as he arrived, by no fault of his own, um, really. But it is funny, like Bayern are are generally so stingy, but they splash out, you know, like 70, 80 odd million um, for for center backs fairly regularly i think bayern will be a good environment for him obviously that defense needed to be retooled um partially because they were just awful last year i mean upamakana we've talked about before did not live up to the hype um zula i think has plateaued as a kind of 
you know, good, but not close to like world-class option. And he's, you know, headed off to Dortmund. So there is definitely space there um, in that side. It'll be interesting to see what the pairing ultimately ends up being, whether it's kind of Lucas Hernandez and Delict or um, Uwe Makano and Delict. But I think he'll probably enjoy his time there. And he gets to join his Dutch compatriot um, as well. So a little bit of Dutch energy at Bayern this summer for sure. Right. And I think if you're Delict, you've learned from Chiellini and Benucci. Chiellini has now left the club to go to L.A., Benucci is also in you know the twilight of his career. You've learned for the past three to four seasons from them. The Juve project, you know, is sort of consistently hitting refresh at this stage, and now is the perfect time to jump ship. You know, you've you're hitting you're hitting your what is going to be you know the plateau of your career in terms of development at the age of you know twenty two to twenty four twenty five, and. I think this is a perfect time to move to a stable situation in Bayern Munich that you know is always going to be run in an efficient manner. And that is also going through, you know, a bit of a transition period right now with Lewandowski leaving. But certainly the Bundesliga is a safe bet, as always, with Bayern Munich. And Juventus, pretty good business to replace Delict with, you know, basically netting 30 million while spending 45 million on Bremer who was linked to a number of Premier League teams, including Chelsea and United. Uh, he joins from Torino, and he's you know entering the prime of his career at 25 years old. So some good business there. Before we talk about Barcelona's... I, I mean, before we talk about Barcelona in any way, shape, or form, uh, we may as well talk for a second about Aurelien Schwameni, who joined Real Madrid for, at this point in time, the largest single transfer fee of anyone uh 88 million going to monaco for that deal and just like they did with camavinga the year before madrid continue to just pry france's most promising midfielders away is this part of their long game to get Kylian mbappe not anymore uh but it does seem like they've found a a formula that works well for them and i think between valverde entering his prime uh Schwameni and camavinga they have more than enough uh, youth in their pipeline to cover, you know, the eventual retirements or departures uh, of players like Kroos and Modric. Great deal in my eyes. Right. right. And Chuameni is sort of the evolution of these kinds of players because this is someone who can do everything. He can shield the back four. He can progress the ball up the field. And if he's got a good range of passing, he's a very good, like he's, he's a stocky dude. Like he's a bigger guy in that midfield. He's certainly going to be one of the bigger midfielders in La Liga. And partnering him with a player like Kamavinga, letting them develop together for the next, you know, once players arrive at Real Madrid, barring like catastrophe or financial situations or, you know, them just plainly saying they want out, normally they, they stay there and develop, you know, look at like Luka Modric and Toni Kroos, who arrived almost 10 years ago and over 10 years ago, respectively. They're going to get time to gel as a unit over the next few seasons, and they could potentially become one of the most deadliest midfield duos we perhaps have ever seen. I think they're both that talented. They're both that good. You know, Kamavinga is someone who got the occasional game this season, but whenever he came on, particularly in the Champions League, he sparkled. He was able to change things up for Real Madrid. And I think a midfield trio of Valverde, Chuameni, and Kamavinga in the next, you know, eight to ten years is something that we should all be quite frightened of, in fact. Yeah, I think... I think the Chiumeni deal is independent of, you know, the failed Mbappe agreement. I think we've talked about for probably a solid season or two now that Madrid's midfield needed a refresh. And now they have three, you know, potentially world-class midfielders under the age of 24. I think Valverde is, or age of 24 or younger. I think Valverde is 24 now, or maybe he's 23 Chiumeni's 22, and then Kamavinga's still 19. Maybe he's almost 20. Um, and I totally agree with you, Nick, that this sets them up. This could be their midfield for the next eight years or something like that or longer. Um, I think it is an excellent, excellent move. And it's, you know, frankly, a, a response to Barcelona, who in, you know, like uh, Pedri and Gavi have 
you know, two of the other, you know, perhaps greatest midfielders of this coming generation as well. So the midfield battle of La Liga, which I think we used to enjoy a lot more in the earlier sort of 2010s, um, is, is being retooled. And I think I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing how this Madrid team even, you know, plays out on the pitch. I think, Caleb, as you mentioned Barcelona, it feels only appropriate that we talk about whatever is going on right now uh, at the Spotify Camp Nou because Barcelona, despite bearing more debt than any other club in the world, I think they're the only club actually to have 10 figures worth of debt, have a net spend of $160 million this summer, bringing in a ludicrous amount of players, uh, including some high-quality players in Rafinha for $63 million, who joins from Leeds, Jules Koundé, who allegedly accepted a lesser wage than that what he would have gotten at, at Chelsea, uh, bringing him in from Sevilla for $55 million. And of course, the marquee transfer that's been in the works for, I would say, the past five or so months, Robert Lewandowski, in my mind, you know, top two best strikers of the last five years, maybe of the last decade, uh, he joins for $50 million from Bayern Munich. They also signed Frank Kessier and Andreas Christensen uh, and they re-signed on three deals. Dembele. And they re-signed Osmani Dembele to a lucrative, I think it's a two-year contract, Caleb. Am I correct on that? Yeah, it's, it's pretty short-term, but he's re-signed. The, the so. point is, Barcelona are spending as if they have money to burn. Uh, and to do this spending, uh, they have effectively mortgaged their future in a deal that I hope doesn't become commonplace in the soccer world. But Caleb, like we mentioned earlier this uh, this episode, they have sold off uh, parts of their future TV. Right? They basically turned themselves into a commodity, into a future, and have sold it, uh, which is a very interesting and potentially devastating move. So Caleb, how are you balancing the feelings about excitement for these players and sort of existential dread about the spending that's going on yeah i it's it's a very difficult question because i think we do have a very exciting team um for this coming year but it has come about through you know interesting uh financial means i don't know how to feel about the selling off of the tv rights thing because you know the virtue of it is that you aren't taking on more debt in order to to get access to the money and they generated, I think they've made something like 500, $600 million between these two deals. And that's how they've been able to bankroll um, some of these transfers. At the same time, I think that weirdly, we're now like a little overstocked in, in some positions. Um, I think that honestly, if Dembele had re-signed his contract earlier in the summer, we would not have bought Rafinha, but we got caught in this weird situation where Dembele hadn't re-signed. Rafinha was available and was very much angling for the Barcelona move over the Leeds move. And so then we got him and then Dembele re-signed. Lewandowski also made very clear that he wanted out of Bayern Munich. I think he wants the head-to-head comparison with Benzema um, in part because he feels very hard done by by his, his lack of, of Ballon d'Ors and the fact that Benzema is probably going to get it um, in this coming year. And I think he's a quality player. I'm not sure I would have spent 50 million on him. I would have rather have spent 66 million or so on on Erling Holland, um, but that that was off the table. I think where this becomes especially kind of though, uh, you know, ethically morally difficult for me is the fact that we are outlaying a lot of this cash. And obviously, the structure of these deals is that we aren't putting it all up front. Um, you know, it's probably mostly in installments. But then we're also asking a player like Frankie Diong, um, who the way his contract was structured was his salary balloons quite dramatically in his fourth year with the club to something like $20 million. Um, And that's how much we also owe him anyway from, from salary he's deferred. And so it's a little disingenuous to me, I think, to take a player who wants to stay with the club, um, to try to shop him around, and to also ask him to take less money as we're you know, spending millions and millions of dollars on players, not all of whom we honestly need. Um, 
right now. And we currently still can't register most of these new signings either. That's the other thing. And Javier Tebas, who's the head of La Liga, said that Barcelona were on track, but none of these players that we've signed can technically play for Barcelona on the first day of the season. Um, so right now, this is a team that looks really good on FIFA. Um, and it's unclear to me how much, <laughs> how, how good it will look, you know, on the actual field. But it's definitely one of the more uh, fraught approaches to the transfer market and not one that I think I support. Although as a fan, I am still excited to see what this team can do. I don't know if that makes sense or is satisfying, um, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. I think you're, I mean, I think that's satisfying in the sense that it's kind of where I am too with all of this, where it feels in one part exciting, you know, Robert Lewandowski coming to Barcelona, trying out a new league, you know, playing and finally getting, he's wanted to go to Real Madrid for years. It's been reported like that's been the case. His, his dream has always been to play in La Liga. He's finally getting the chance to do that at 33. Uh, FC Barcelona have, you know, their marquee superstar again in the form of him and also you know they have some of the the next generation of superstars in the form of a player like Rafinha who can dazzle on the right hand side but it I have a few questions about all of this and also I'm just I'm a little sad in the sense that you know Joan Laporta was supposed to come in and be this steady hand in you know this new cycle this post Messi cycle for Barcelona it was actually supposed to, you know, convince Messi to stay at the club, but you know that ship had long has long sailed now. Messi is gone. Barcelona was left with a vacuum in terms of production, and this is the way that they set out to try and, you know, get those numbers back on the field statistically. They hire someone like Xavi to institute a rebuild at the club to integrate youth, to, you know, go back to the La Masia basics with someone like him, some a club legend who's going to, you know, be more in touch with the foundations. That seems like that plan has is I mean the plan is out of the window now. Like you need to win. You have Robert Lewandowski, you have, you know, Frank Cassier, you're paying money to re-sign Dembele, you signed Rafinha, you know, you're boosting your defense with the likes of Andreas Christensen, who isn't cheap. You're still, you know, you're out there trying to, you know, finagle a way to bring in Cesar Azpilicueta from Chelsea. The, the the aspect of the aspect of trying to rebuild this team slowly and patiently for for a manager without much experience like Chavi is over. Like Chavi needs to win. There needs to be some sort of trophy or trophy push in Barcelona this season. And I also have questions about, you know, players like Ferran Torres and Aubameyang who arrived last January, who were supposed to be solutions to this attacking problem as well and now I don't know you know Ferran Torres is in a similar situation that he was trying to escape at Man City you know where he's going to be you know coming off the bench playing limited minutes things like that so I mean I have general questions about this from a tactic standpoint and from a personnel standpoint just as I have several questions about it from a is this the way that Barcelona you know mortgages their future for the next you know, three years of potential success. I mean, it's definitely, it feels like we're balancing a historic club on a knife's edge here in terms of finances. And I'm, you know, nervous about where it, where it goes. I'm really concerned about the future of where we're going to be talking about Barcelona and the place in their place in the football landscape in about two to three years. But we shall see, as Caleb said, this is definitely a exciting team on paper if they can get all these players registered under the line. Yeah, I mean, clearly the, the concerning part for me is that we've talked at length about how Barcelona and Real Madrid have spent over the last five years or so. And obviously that was under a different administration in terms of the presidency of Barcelona. But I am always hesitant looking at clubs that are willing to, I guess, operate a bit like, like, like headless chickens in the market. Um, and if you look at Barca's spending over three years in terms of positional spending, like you mentioned, Nick, bringing in someone like Aubameyang, although he does have an option for release after this season in his contract, that's still 25 million euros in wages that he will be being, that he'll be receiving um, for, I guess, what looks like either a backup striker role or a left wing role, where we know he's struggled in the past. 
similarly with Ferran Torres, when Barcelona first had to do some sort of creative expenditures to get him registered in time, including, you know, the, the Danny Alves situation too, um, you know, that, that transfer becomes, you know, questionable. Uh, and so I don't know. I sort of, I hope it turns out well because Barcelona are such a storied club uh, and they bear so much debt. You want them to survive, right? Because the last thing anyone wants to see, it's been a couple of years since a big name club has had to, you know, be restructured in any sort of way. But this is all coming at the same time as, you know, Bordeaux, who were not giants, but mainstays in France, are in a legal battle to stay in uh, the second tier in France. Uh, they are also currently owed $9.3 million by Barcelona as part of their agreement for the Malcolm transfer, as crazy as that is. So the soccer world is very heavily linked financially, especially with how these deals are structured. And kind of like the U.S. defaulting on its debt, there could be huge ramifications uh, depending on how the story of Barcelona writes itself in the next couple of seasons. I will just say, at least on the Ferran Torres and Abemiang point, I agree that like maybe now they make less sense. But in the context of where we were last season, like those transfers were essential in getting us to a Champions League spot, right? Like if we don't bring in those players, if, you know, Abemiang doesn't score his like 13 goals or whatever and Farron doesn't score his like seven or eight, we are in a very, very different position right now. So I agree that like their their place in the team is definitely questionable. And I think that we shouldn't have brought in as many attacking pieces as we did this summer. And like, we haven't even mentioned Depay, who's going to have to leave. But I think last season, those transfers made a lot of sense when they occurred and were very prudent. So No, but what you're saying is indicative of the strategy of Barcelona as a whole right now, which seems like stopgap solution after stopgap solution, square peg and round hole after square peg and round hole. And like, yes, getting back into the Champions League was vital at that stage of the season. And I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't disagree with you. The Obama, the Aubameyang transfer was certainly a risk. I think all of us are scratching our heads at it at the time. It clearly worked out for both parties. But now, you know, the personnel is where it is. We're looking at more stopgap solutions for Barcelona, both on the pitch and off the pitch financially. You know, you started this joke. You started this this podcast with a joke about selling off the TV rights, which I think we we can talk about more at length at a different time. But I definitely think there is an element of we're just watching, you know, we're watching. <laughs> I feel like we're watching. It's like a nice cruise that's being built at the front or it's like the foundations of the cruise are being built and it's glamorous and it's golden on the exterior, but the interior is like slowly rotting it's, away. It's the basically the Bluth's house in Arrested Development, right? Yeah. I mean, yes, exactly. I think there is, there is an element of, there's just an element of, of uncertainty and knife edge and imbalancedness. If you want to find, you know, a, a neat way to put all of those words that I think, is just sort of uncomfortable to watch at Barcelona right now. I hope it produces some very exciting football this season because that would be very cool to see. I would love Barcelona to you know be competing for La Liga and competing for the Champions League. I think that's good for the global game. But I certainly am concerned about the next three years of Barcelona as an institution. Before we before we leave the sort of transfer business to the side, maybe talk about the women's Euros quickly. Uh, I think there was a risk that with the big deals for Lewandowski and Erling Holland, that the biggest losers of the transfer window would actually just be the Bundesliga as a whole. Uh, you know, there's always, there's obviously this big question about the, the function of a league that's so, so uncompetitive at the top. Uh, you know, it's obviously been so many years of sustained Bayern dominance. And also, you know, the Bundesliga has the fourth biggest TV deal of the big five leagues um, in terms of what they net on their foreign deal and their domestic deal. However, they've made some pretty good signings, a lot of young signings um, from the teams that you would expect. The real teams, there are three teams that really have the capacity to spend 
in the Bundesliga, those being Dortmund, Bayern, and, you know, as of a couple of years ago, Leipzig. Going to give, you know, a couple of the deals that have gone through so far. Sebastian Haller, uh, you know, continues his career renaissance going from Ajax to Dortmund for about 40 mil. Kareem Adeyemi, who was really impressive with Salzburg last year, also joins early or follows Erling Holland's path, rather, joining Dortmund for 33 million. Uh, Nicholas Zula, as you mentioned, Caleb, uh, joins Dortmund on a free transfer. Ryan Gravenberg, you know, uh, the wonder kid out of Ajax, joins Bayern for 20 million. Uh, Nico Schlotterbeck makes the rare inter Bundesliga defensive transfer, joining Dortmund for 22 million. Uh, and you know, a couple of other signings in that 20 to 30 million range for teams like Leipzig uh, abound. Obviously, Nasser Mazraoui also joins Bayern Munich. I think uh, it's an interesting, this is going to be an interesting year uh, for Bayern Munich because the last season where Lewandowski didn't lead their line, I believe was Mario Gomez up top. If I'm, if I remembering, if I'm getting my years correct. So it's been a long time since Man, they've had to... Mandzukic too, right? Yeah, and Mandzukic, I guess, there. as well in, what, 13-14. So it's been a long time. Um, and, of course, Bayern, like Real Madrid, have some players who have been part of their core who are aging. Uh, you know, Manuel Neuer obviously can get a few more years out of as a goalie. But Thomas Muller is, you know, not the same as he once was. Uh, fortunately, they've got plenty of youth elsewhere. But it does seem like a, an, an inflection point for the Bundesliga as a whole with the kind of deals they've been making this summer. I think this summer in the, or this coming season in the Bundesliga is the best chance to finally see Bayern dethroned. I think they have gotten on the margins a little worse, or at least it'll take them some time to figure out how to function right now without a true striker. Um, Cause I don't think, Mane really is gonna. I, I don't think. How he's did really I? Gonna, how did I forget to mention Mane in that deal? I don't know. Um, also, on on Sebastian Hilaire, important to note too that he was recently diagnosed with cancer, um, and luckily very treatable form. Um, but I don't know how long he's out as well. But I think Dortmund have improved quite a bit. They've shored up their defense a lot, and. Bayern have shored up their defense, but I think their offense has probably gotten on the margins worse. And so I don't think this league is any more competitive in Europe, but I think the league within itself may have enough parity to hopefully see a Dortmund, um, you know, pip, pip uh, Bayern to the, to the title. And also the, the atmosphere at Bayern right now is really toxic. The fans are not on board with the club's current stances in regards to sponsorship deals, particularly around Qatar. Um, the Bayern board have certainly welcomed Qatar and Qatar Airways with open arms. The fans are really up in arms about that. There is a huge kerfuffle at one of the last, you know, open fan board presentations slash meetings in terms of fans walking out, being very vocal about their dissent for the club right now. And after not having, you know, the greatest of seasons last year in Europe, certainly, you know, it looks like Bayern right now are a bit weaker up top and potentially at the back before the signing of Delict. Delict, we'll see how he beds in with the team. He's a world-class defender. I don't expect him to be too difficult. But I think it's a Bayern are certainly looking ripe for the plucking right now. But we say this every season and every season they end up winning the Bundesliga by, you know, about nine to 12 points. So we shall see. With that being said, there were some other big deals that went down, mostly in the Premier League, but we will talk about all of those, uh, including incomings and outgoings, on Sunday when we record our annual Premier League preview pod, which is obviously, you know, highly thought of in our own eyes. There was, you know, obviously there was supposed to be the World Cup, the Men's World Cup this summer. That will instead take place in November and December of this year in Qatar. There was... You know, in, uh, in terms of international football, the women's Euros, which, uh, you know, Nick and I were fortunate enough to get to attend a game of in Manchester. Uh, we saw Belgium and Iceland play to a 1-1 draw. But we now are approaching the final with the hosts, England, taking on eight-time champions, Germany. This has been just a fantastic tournament 
uh, I think. And I do think that this is probably the most platformed I've seen a single, you know, non women's world cup type tournament get. And I think that's great for the game. And I'm super excited uh, for this final in a couple of days. There's nothing like a, you know, a major tournament final in front of the home fans. No, I agree. I think this has been a spectacular tournament. The game that we went to, Nathan Iceland against Belgium and Manchester, was one of exceptional quality, and the drama was really high in that. And I think the drama has certainly been really high all tournament, and none more so than England's 2-1 win over Spain with Georgia Stanway scoring an absolute belter in the 96th minute to send them to the semifinals where they absolutely trounced, trounced Sweden 4-0. Excuse me. But I think the interesting thing is that all of the players in this tournament that you've kind of expected to deliver have delivered somewhat, except for England's Lucy Bronze, who did actually score a goal in this second game or in the semifinal for England. But she's not been exceptional. She's not been, you know, as as you know imperative to their system. So it's going to be interesting to see if you know she can get it going in the final. I still think, you know, it's incredible that this time last year we were looking at the English men's team being the one to finally break, you know, the decades long amount of hurt for England. And now it could be, you know, their women's team who brings home a major European trophy or a major global soccer trophy for the England Football Federation against such a hated rival as Germany. And I think Germany have been, you know, an intriguing team to watch. I think France them beating France in the semifinal was certainly an upset. And so I'm interested to see how they're going to play this game against England, who I think are the far better side overall. But I am I am very eagerly anticipating Sunday for what's going to be an extremely high-quality final of soccer. Yeah, England have been playing out of their mind in this tournament, and I think it all came to to a head in that trouncing of, of Sweden, who are one of you know the traditional powerhouses in the tournament um and especially with that alessia russo back heel um goal for the third <laughs> it was the most disrespectful thing i've ever seen <laughs> it was so filthy the goalie was so shocked um lindahl was so shocked that that shot came in like she couldn't even move um and i think not only have england been bouncing teams in impressive fashion they have been bouncing really good teams as well um spain were probably one of the other major favorites for the tournament you know they had to play without alexia putellas um because she tore her acl yeah she tore right? acl and is out for 13 months the yeah, best like, player in the world by the way yeah like the reigning women's ballon d'or winner right um and yeah one of the stars on fc barcelona women's side um, so that was a major blow. But point being, England have beaten big teams on their way. They have not had an easy path to the final. Germany, I think, have been taking the more slow and steady approach, dispatching teams by sort of more reasonable score lines. Um, I personally am hoping and do think, though, that it may finally be coming home for England. Um, and I think that will be massive, hopefully. Um, not only for the women's game, but but for the English generally. What do you guys think? Also, England or you? Yeah, I think I think it's coming home. I think yeah. Serena's a, a great coach, uh, and you know Serena Wagman obviously is a already I would say a legend of the of the game. She coached the Netherlands for five years. Um, you know, once she was replaced there, uh, she joined England. She's been fantastic so far. They've really gotten performances out of everyone, and they have easily the deepest squad of any team you know they've stayed injury free they have gotten a bit of fortune you know Stanway had that banger in extra time but uh you know that that Alessia Russo goal was spectacular I, I was working at camp and I you both texted about it and I was like oh my god I have to see this right now but I do think England beat Germany I don't think Germany would have gotten through France had it not been for Marie Antoinette Katoto who got injured um you know after the first match day but nonetheless, it's a time. It's time for England to, uh, you know, I guess make their mark on the international game, winning a major final. Uh, although the, the the English government has said there will not be a bank holiday if they win, which sort of, I guess, 
you know, even just days ahead of the biggest game for an English national team side in a couple of years, uh, still sort of indicates some of the, uh, the, the, I guess the, the vestiges of sexism and the differences between the way these teams are treated, but nonetheless should be an excellent game coming yeah, up I this mean, weekend, is, Sunday at noon. That is extremely disappointing as someone who is just in England who watched a lot of these games, watched the fervor of the England fans who have really embraced this team as, <clears throat> as you know, one of the favorites and who have really, I think, I think the, the Euro, women's Euro fever has really encapsulated the English the English people. So that is kind of disappointing. But I will say, from a Germany perspective, Alexander Pop has scored five goals in this tournament. Germany's captain, you know, standout for Wolfsburg. Um, and I think she is definitely going to be someone that needs to be heavily contributing if Germany are to get anything out of this game. If she can make it six goals or more, potentially, after scoring a brace against France, I think for Germany to get anything out of this game, Alexander Pop has to be probably on the score sheet. Score predictions? I'm going to say 3-1 to the English. I was going to say 3-2 to the I English. Th <laughs> I think it will be 5-0 England. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, hey, I can see it. I could totally see it. Yeah, I'm going all in. This is so you know, coming off of last year's victory between the three of us in terms of preseason Premier League predictions, I figured <laughs> I would get my I figured I would get my outlandish take in now, uh, you know, before before our next episode. But that's one of the most shocking thing that's ever happened. But I know it truly, <laughs> truly it was like a it was up there with Leicester winning the league, right? Yeah. Like it was like four thousand to one. Yeah. Uh, but we've covered a lot of ground. There's still obviously so much more that's happened this summer. We'll get into most of it next time out as we record our prediction podcast. But for now, I've been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Reds. I've been Nicky Vinden. I'm sorry that I'm pulling the Maurizio Sorry this episode and it sounds like I'm, you know, smoking <laughs> on the touchline, but I promise I will be in better health for our next episode and you'll get, you know, the full energetic myself going forward this season for our Premier League prediction show. <laughs>